Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. Look at God's Word. Uh, turn in your Bibles, if you have a Bible, to Genesis chapter 45. Uh, we're going to look starting in verse 16 all the way to chapter 46, verse 30. Uh, keep your finger there because we're not going to read it all at the same time. And I'm going to skip some of the bits that uh, is just a lot of detail that is not the most important thing for us this morning. Genesis 45, starting in verse 16. While you're turning there, I wanted to show you a picture of uh, James Lever. Uh, there's my little boy, Fox, talking to James years ago. Some of you will remember James if you've been around the United Church for a long time. He was a pillar in this church, really, uh, since it joined with the Bogota Baptist Chapel back in the day. Um, he, is a, he was a dear, dear man. I, I loved knowing James. I'll never forget the first time that I met James. Uh, I was just brand new as a solo pastor here, and I thought James was dying. Uh, he wasn't dying, it turned out. He was going to live for like four or five more years after that. Um, but I thought he was dying, so I was going to go pray for him. And I brought along a C.S. Lewis book um, to read him some, expert, some excerpts from C.S. Lewis, because James is British, and I thought he would appreciate the British thing, you know. And so I, you know, I show him the book, and, and James, his face lit up. And he started to tell me his story. And he said, you know what? I was like, James, do you know who C.S. Lewis is? He's like, you know what? When I was in Oxford, C.S. Lewis was my tutor. And so I would meet in C.S. Lewis's office and learn from him on a regular basis. And I'm just sitting there like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> so C.S. Lewis was actually the person who wrote me the letter that said, do not go into journalism, James Lever. Don't go into journalism. And so I joined the military instead, and, and I became a pilot and, you know, was in World War II. But shortly after I joined, World War II ended. And in 1946, I did not go into journalism. Instead, my dad got me a job with Lloyd's Bank that was working in Colombia. So 1946, I boarded a ship thinking that I was going to British Columbia to work at a bank, and I showed up in Colombia. <laughs> and his face lit up, and he had a big smile, as if to communicate, can you believe the huge mistake I had made? There was more as he told his story. He told me, you know, it wasn't just living in Colombia and not really expected to, but expecting to, but a family member had purchased a company bond that would require James to work a five-year contract. And part of that contract was that he was supposed to move to Nicaragua soon, and the contract stipulated that in no uncertain terms could James Lever get married in those five years, which was a problem. Because one day, in walked the pretty girl from the British hardware store. And so again, he relived this moment. 
I've made a huge mistake. This is an international church. Often, the only predictable thing about international church is mobility. Transition. People constantly coming. People constantly going from everywhere to everywhere. It's really crazy. It's a lot of work, and I love it. But I tell you what, we have a lot of people making international moves in our community. And I'm just wondering, have you in that process, thinking about the international move that is coming, having just done the international move here, have you ever found yourself thinking, oh no, I think I've just made a huge mistake? Am I about to like mess up my kids and the way their brains are wired because of all the trauma of moving overseas? Am I about to like sabotage my career because I'm doing this crazy thing in this other country? Am I about to sabotage my own emotional health because of all the instability I'm inviting into my story and our family's story? Am I about to make the biggest mistake of my life? And if you've ever asked yourself that question, then you are right where Jacob is as we begin our story. We've been studying the gospel according to Joseph, and the story actually looks back at Jacob last year's character. Why? Because Jacob is about to make an international move. Joseph had revealed his identity to his brothers. He said, hey guys, go and get dad and the rest of the family and bring them all to Egypt. And so Jacob is faced with this international move and he's worried and he's thinking to himself, am I about to make the biggest mistake of my life? The human story is a story about migration And if you haven't asked that question, as it pertains to mobility, you probably will one day, and you need to hear this good news, that your God looks at you, he says, you know what, wherever you go, I will be with you. Wherever you go, I will be with you. No matter how fearful you are, and no matter how frail you are, you are. I will be with you. So listen to that story as I kick it off by reading Genesis 45, starting with verse 16. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this, load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also directed to tell them, do this, take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father to come. Never mind about your belongings because the best of all Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts as Pharaoh had commanded and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father, 10 donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away. And as they were leaving, he said to them, don't quarrel along the way. So so they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, 
He's ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. Now we'll go see him before I die. Lord, would the words of your servant's mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our Lord and our rock and our Redeemer. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wherever you go, God says, I will be with you, no matter how fearful fearful you are. That's really good news, isn't it? No matter how afraid you are, God will be with you. That's good news that Joseph knew. Um, as we have looked at the roller coaster that is his life, he was aware of one thing, that God was with him. I mean, just think about the way last week's story ended. Heart thumping, heart aching, even reconciliation with his brothers who had sold him into slavery 22 years before it was clear God was with him. And I love the part in that passage where it says he wept. He didn't weep. He wailed in this moment with his brothers. And he wailed so loudly that it reverberated down the halls and it echoed in the ears of Pharaoh and his family so that Pharaoh and his family found out that Joseph's brothers were here. And, you know, pharaohs in the Bible were kind of programmed to, like, think they're all bad guys, right? And that's because of the Exodus, and that pharaoh was a bad guy. But this pharaoh, turns out, was actually a really good dude. Like, he wanted to bless Joseph. He was thrilled that Joseph's brothers were here, and they were reconnected. And so he said, go and get your father and the rest of the family and bring them to Egypt. They're going to get the very best that Egypt has to offer. And you know what? Take some carts for everyone and, and, and tell them to just leave all their stuff behind because you know what? We've got all that stuff here in Egypt just waiting for them. And it never hit me until this week. Do you know what Jacob is being offered? Jacob is being offered the ultimate expat assignment. He really is. This is the ultimate expat assignment. Pack the family, all 70 of them, plus all of the support staff that came along with them. Leave most of your belongings. Move to another country. Settle in Egypt and all expenses are going to be paid. It's a sweet offer. And the offer is sweetened by this. The brothers get to Jacob and they say, Oh, and by the way, Dad, um, Joseph's alive. And he's like a really big boss in Egypt. And Jacob is like, no. The text says he didn't believe them. Until he started to listen to the story and started to see all the stuff that Joseph, his successful son, was sending him. Verse 27 says that the boys got to watch their dad come alive for the first time in a long time, and he's convinced, okay, boys, I believe you. Let's go. I want to see Joseph before I die. And we think, well, that's it. He got the expat offer. He's going to go see his boy. All good. We're done, right? No. If we just leave it at that, we're actually going to miss something that is part of our stories as we experience the life of global mobility that's hidden away. 
fear. Jacob was afraid. He was afraid he was about to make the biggest mistake of his life. So listen as I keep the story going in chapter 46, verse 1. So Israel, Jacob, set out with all that was his, and when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night, and he said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives, and the carts Pharaoh had sent them to transport him. So Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt, taking with them their livestock and their possessions they had acquired in Canaan. Jacob brought with him to Egypt his sons and his grandsons and his daughters and his granddaughters and all his offspring. And then it starts to name all those people, and it takes a little while. Um, but you see what's happening. Jacob is making this move. You can see that. Did you see also the fear? Did you see the fear? Jacob arrives in Beersheba. What is Beersheba? Well, as it turns out, Beersheba is this sacred place to Jacob's family. It's a place where promises were made. It's a place where Abraham, his grandfather, made promises years ago, and he experienced the eternal goodness of his God. And so he planted this tree in honor of that. And it's a place where Jacob's dad, Isaac, had also made promises and experienced this eternal goodness of, of his God. And, and he dug this well. And so here Jacob is back in this sacred place, experiencing the history of it and God's goodness in it. That's Beersheba, but Beersheba was also the southernmost border of Israel, of the promised land. And so as you stand in Beersheba and you look backwards, well, you, you see the promised land and, and all the fruit of the land and how easy it was to grow things and keep things alive. All of God's provision back there. And as you look out beyond Beersheba, guess what you see? Barren desert. Barren desert, almost all the way until you got to Egypt. And so it was this fearful frontier for Jacob. It was this monumental point where he's leaving all the good stuff back there that God, by the way, had promised him and his family. And he's going into the desert, not knowing what he's going to get on the other side of Beersheba. To add to it, he's old and he knows he's about to die and he's probably not going to go back. And he's worrying to himself, am I going to mess up God's promise of the land by going to Egypt? And so with all the weight of that, Jacob does what? Verse 1, he offered sacrifice to the God of his father Isaac. To the one who is eternal. To the one who keeps his promises even when it doesn't look like it's possible. And I think in our context of an international church where there's so much going and coming and mobility, we all need a Beersheba moment. Actually, we need lots of them. Beersheba is that sacred place where we can be real with our fears and also real with God who keeps his promises even when it doesn't look like he's going to. Um, I'll never forget 
one Saturday evening, almost nine years ago, it was the day before we were supposed to come to the United Church for our first official Sunday at this new place where we worked and served. And you have to understand, we had spent the last year or so raising tens of thousands of dollars, going through trainings and other preparation things, having a baby, bringing our one-year-old here, bringing our little fat dog, Edith, here, coming with our 10 suitcases who were there in the house, or that were there in the house where we sat. We were so excited to be going to the place where we are going to work and connect for a long, long time, and yet... I was shaking uncontrollably, gasping for breath, having my very first panic attack. Why? Beersheba. I was having a Beersheba moment. I had been so excited in all of the logistics of moving and finally arriving and being on the mission field that I had never slowed down enough to realize how a Afraid I was and how badly I needed God. And so my body was saying, hey, Andrew, um, I'm glad you're excited and all, but we can't keep going at this pace. You need to deal with the fact that you are really, really afraid and you need God to remind you that he's in this. Beersheba is that place where we remind God, Lord, I know I seem excited and all, but I'm terrified right now. And Lord, what I'm about to do is really scary and it's going to change everything and may alter the rest of my life. And I need you in it. I need you to bless it. And all the transition stuff that you experience, have, have you been able to slow down and admit those things? You need it. You need it. That's what Jacob is doing right there with the altar that he built. He's having a Beersheba moment where he says, God, I'm afraid. God, what if I, what if I never go back to Canaan? What, what if I die over there in this foreign place? What if I mess up your promises to your people? What if I'm about to make the biggest mistake of my life? And if you've ever felt that, I want you to hear what God says. Jacob, Jacob, I am God, the God of your father, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. What's he saying? Keep going. I really am with you. I'm not going to leave you. I really am in this, and I will keep my promises. Wherever you go, God says, I will be with you. No matter how fearful you are, and no matter how frail you are. Jacob knew he was dying soon, right? He, he knew he wasn't, he wasn't coming back, and that's the reason why there's this beautiful thing that God says about his own son, Joseph, being able to close his eyes in death, that was a peaceful thing. He's a frail man, and you see that in the text. Actually, he's being lifted by his sons and loaded into the cart and carried all the way to Egypt because he's not going to make it there otherwise. But he is not just physically frail. His life 
for the last 22 years had been a living hell. Right? Lost his beloved bride, Rachel. Lost his beloved son, Joseph. People tried to come and comfort him with the loss of Joseph and his grief in chapter 37. And he says, no, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. Later in verse 42, when he's asked to send his son Benjamin to Egypt, he refuses. He says, everything is against me. If harm comes to him on this journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. Do you see how loss, trauma, death, grief have washed over this man over and over again for the last 22 years? And now he's faced with this prospect of leaving everything he knows behind and going to this place where he's a foreigner and he's misunderstood. Oh yeah, and his family hadn't exactly had a great history there before. And he's wondering, what if I'm about to make a huge mistake? And some of you get that. Some of you get that emotional frailness, don't you? Pandemic stuff aside, you get what it's like to be that frail. About a year into when we moved to Columbia, we were feeling that ourselves. Uh, Probably we were in one of the more emotionally raw places we had ever been in our marriage. And um, looking back, a few months before, we had almost lost our son uh, to, uh, to a ruptured appendix. Our best friends that we expected to serve with for years and years had been suddenly repatriated back to the U.S., and they were just gone like that. The people that we thought were going to be our friends turned out that they weren't really our friends. The people we thought were going to be our advocates were actually our antagonists. We were coming to a church that, frankly, wasn't very healthy. It was hard to connect. It was hard to worship. And we were discouraged, and we were feeling lonely, and we were weary, and frankly, we were leaving. We were out the door. We were thinking, what a massive mistake we've made moving our family here. Wendell Berry, uh, in one of his characters, writes this, and I, I find it so beautiful and so true to our experience, and maybe yours. Often I've not known where I was going until I was already there. I've had my share of desires and goals, but my life has come to me or I've gone to it mainly by way of mistakes and surprises. Often I have received better than I deserved. Often my faintest hopes have rested on bad mistakes. Listen to this. I am an ignorant pilgrim crossing a dark valley, and yet for a long time, looking back, I've been unable to shake off the feeling that I have been led. Unable to shake off the feeling that I have been led. Listen, there are two lessons that we learned in that experience years ago. One of them is that there are no um, coincidences in God's economy. Things don't just happen randomly in your story. God is actually there leading through it all, even through your mistakes. And two, wherever God is, he is bringing life where there was once death. You just may have to wait for it. Listen to how our story ends after that long list of people. Listen to some of this, verses 28 through 30. The boys, or uh, Jacob and the family, have, have almost arrived to Egypt. 
Now Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. When they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. Israel said to Joseph, Now I am ready to die, since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. Can you picture that scene separated for 22 years? One thinking the other is dead. Isn't it remarkably beautiful? That reunion, that moment between Joseph and Jacob. It's more than just beautiful. It was a divine experience for Jacob. And the reason I say that is because of the language that's used there. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, appeared before him, that language, when it has come up in the book of Genesis and the patriarchs so far, always describes when God himself appears before people. This is a divine experience, drawing our eyes to God and all of his bigness and beauty and gracious grandeur. Because that's what was happening. God in flesh and blood was showing up for Jacob. It was God who had made all this happen. None of this was an accident. God had been weaving it all together the whole time leading up to this point. It had his divine fingerprints all over it. It was a resurrection experience. This son that Jacob had thought was dead was actually not dead. He's alive. And he's real and he's right here. And God was so real to Jacob in that moment, in the midst of his fear and his frailty, that it's as if the arms around his torso and the tears dripping down his neck were the very arms and tears of God himself, who says, see, Jacob, I'm with you wherever you go, no matter how fearful you are, no matter how frail you are. Have you felt that with your God? Here's why this matters. The purpose of this story is found in who it was told to first. The very first audience were the Israelites who had been delivered from slavery in Egypt. And guess where they are? They're on the plains of Moab and they're looking out over the promised land and they're thinking, I think we're about to make a huge mistake. At least we had enough food back there. At least we had enough to drink back there. And what God wanted for them was to see his hand guiding it all. To see it all make sense in the midst of their fear and their frailty. He wanted them to see the way that God was keeping his promises to grow his people. Even in affliction and slavery in Egypt. He wanted them to see the way that God was keeping his promise to bring Jacob back. Well, bringing Jacob back, yes, sure, he was buried back there, but he brought Jacob back by bringing Israel, his people, back to the promised land itself. They needed to see it. They needed the death where there were, or life where there was once death, resurrection moment. So God wanted them to look back at that story and to remember, Israel, my people, I'm with you wherever you go. No matter how afraid, no matter how frail. And he wants you to do the same, but not with this story. With the cross. 
and with the empty tomb. Because it's there in Jesus that we see God's promise. It's there we hear God say more clearly than anywhere else, see, I really am with you. In fact, I want to be with you so badly that I'll give my own son to make sure it happens. I'll be with you wherever you go, no matter how fearful you are, no matter how frail you are. And you know what? No matter how sinful you are, as Jesus embraces the cross to make us right with God himself. James Lever didn't know that story when he moved to Columbia accidentally. James Lever didn't know that story when his wife paid off his contract so that they could get married together. James Lever didn't know that story. He wasn't a Christian when he started his company and when he became the father of Colombian aviation. And I mean that, like when I preached his funeral, in walked the mayor of Bogota. That's how much this man meant to this country. James Lever wasn't a Christian even when he oversaw the rescue of some of his crew who had been kidnapped by the FARC. He actually wasn't a Christian until this impacted him. International church. This weird mixture of people constantly coming and going to all places and trying to fit in and connect and figure out life in another country. That's what it was that convinced James that, you know what, James, I'm with you. And I'll never leave you, no matter how afraid, no matter how frail. It was that international church, this kind of community, where James met Jesus. And that gave him peace. Because even up to his dying days, when he would speak to me, as he was able to speak, he was at peace. I'm ready. I'm ready to meet my Savior. And Jacob says something very similar to that in this story, right? Now I'm ready to die since I've seen for myself that you are still alive. I'm ready to die now that I've seen this big picture of salvation and I've experienced resurrection. I'm ready. Simeon, in Luke chapter 2, when he meets baby Jesus in the temple, says the same sort of thing. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Why? For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Do you want to experience that kind of peace on life's journey? As you make these big decisions, as you come, as you go, as you say goodbye, as you say hello, do you want that kind of peace? Then look, my friends, to Jesus. Look to Jesus who offers you his peace through his never-ending presence. He loves you and he will never leave you. Look to Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you for that truth. We thank you for this story. Would you please apply it to our hearts that are so fast to doubt and get lost in the bigness of everything else, but forget the bigness of your salvation and the bigness of your presence with us to save us and to love us and to journey with us no matter where we go. Please do this by your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.